This episode of the Blue Collar Real Estate Podcast brought to you by Stacy Mayo and the Scott Miller team at Ruoff Mortgage. Whether you're buying new or refinancing, Ruoff has a solution for you. Hey everybody, it is the latest edition of Blue Collar Real Estate. I am Ryan Hergert sitting here with my man on Friday at 5, Greg Mayo. Greg, what have you been up to, man? It's been a good minute since we've done this. <laughs> well, like, it, what's going on in the world? It's been a weird couple of weeks. You, you survived. Know I, mean? I know that. I know that. There was a little bit of a scare, it sounds like. Yeah, COVID came to Casa de Mayo. Oh, man. Um, my wife actually got it, and she had a couple rough days, but... Like she said, you know, she's had flus work. That, that is not to diminish the virus or the pandemic yeah. or blah, 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 any of the other stuff. But I'm just saying she did okay. But Stacy's good. Stacy's good. I'm good. The other kid that lives at home good, is good. Ever, so everybody's rock and rolling. So the COVID was no big issue at Casa de Mayo, and we are moving forward with life as we know it. Life as we know it. There exactly we go. Right. There we go. So, Greg, I wanted to ask you real quick because you have had some super awesome stuff happen in your life since we last did this show. And I have to talk about this because you and I have talked about this a lot personally, but we've not talked about it on the show. And that is now you are now a two-time, two-time everybody, whichever camera I'm, I'm looking at here, two-time, two-time published author. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. No, yeah. I'm excited for you, man, because this this latest book that you wrote is called Almost Daddy, and it's available on every platform right now. Kindle, Amazon, you go find it. It's out there right now, yep. which is I'm so happy for you. And the cover is exceptional. But tell us about this. Like you literally wrote now, not first, but your second book. Tell people about that process. Yeah. So that, that part's kind of cool, mm -hmm. right? You get the first novel out and you're like, yeah, I did it. Now what? And then you write the second one, and you're like, okay, that's better than the first one. And, and and part of it, with this book, so it's real important to know, this is a novel. You had a story to tell, and it's a novel, it's a story about something that happened in your life. Right? Yes. Yeah, so okay. at 18 years old, I lost a kid to an abortion. Um, and so in the, in the book, the main character, Ben, he's 18, and he loses a kid to an abortion. Now, there are a lot of places in the book, um, cities and towns and stuff, that are places I lived at one point or another. But you write what's familiar, right? I wrote about Grand Island, Nebraska, because I lived there. Yeah. I wrote about Fort Myers, Florida, and Mobile, Alabama, and Rockville, Illinois, because I knew those towns, right? So it's just that familiarity. But this is Ben's story. And, you know, when you start writing a book, you, you create an outline. Everybody's got a story to tell, right? Absolutely, they do. Everybody's got hardship they've overcome. And what I realized, and, and what's funny is most of my life, and I've read hundreds and hundreds of books, almost all of them have been nonfiction. Mm -hmm. But yet I've written two novels. Well, what hit me, um, the greatest teachers in the world, and the main one that comes to mind in my mind is Jesus, but the, the greatest teachers in the world, they use story to communicate the lesson they want to communicate. Every time. So I wrote this novel. Ben's story starts where mine does. He loses a child to an abortion. And then the story follows him through about a decade of his life um, as he goes through the pain and the struggle and trying to come to grips with that. And then ultimately, hopefully, we find a path to healing, to forgiveness, to restoration with relationship with God. That was kind of the point of the book. And it was very personal to me, even though it's not my story, but to be able to tell the story. Since the beginning when abortion became legal nationally in this country in 1973 with, with Roe v. Wade, there have been 62 million-plus abortions. Yeah. Now, understand, if you're listening or watching this right now, I, this isn't political. No, not at I, all. I'm not joining a movement or any of that kind of stuff. That's just not who I am. But it's about how it impacts people. Right. 
not just that day, but moving forward in their lives. Right. right? There's a song um, Ben Folds 5 does called Brick. She's a brick and I'm drowned in slow. I, he does a falsetto. I'm not doing that right now. <laughs> Jason, you're welcome. <laughs> um, but that song, that's what that's about. Yeah. Right. And and uh, Tim McGraw's um, Red Rag Top. And, and so it, it, if you're a person watching this right now and, and, and you had an abortion and, and you're cool with it, that's cool. Maybe this book isn't for you. But out of 62 million dads and 62 million moms, I, there's got to be some hurting people out there. Yeah. And so what I wanted to do was not join a political movement. I don't care about political movements. What I wanted to do was do my part to be able to share a story that would hopefully bring some healing and some hope to people. I so, I so, so love that. And I want to break this down just a touch further, if you don't mind, and just kind of dive a little bit deeper into this, because I feel so many people have a great story to tell, right? But taking on the task of writing a book is overwhelming to so many people, right? How'd you do that? Because I remember you and I having conversations for the last year about this, Yep. yet you got it done. You got it done. So walk people through that journey of actually just doing what you just did, because genuinely, man, as a friend, as a in as a person, I'm inspired by this. I'm inspired by what you've done. And it's a great story. And you took the time to put it on paper and now share that story with other people, which is going to help people in a positive way. Well, you know, Aunt Loretta used to always say the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. Yeah. It, Darren Hardy talks about do just a little bit each day. So that, that's really what I did. I took an outline of what I wanted to say in the story, right? Now, I'll tell you about halfway through the book and really before that, but certainly by the midpoint from then on, the story looks nothing like my outline. It evolved. Yeah, and that's that's the key to storytelling um, or any kind of artistic expression, whether you're a musician, writing a song, or whatever. When the story you're trying to tell starts telling you, the characters start telling you what happens that's next. That's awesome. And so every day, every stinking day, I just wrote a little bit more. And And honestly, a bulk of this was written during the early lockdown and COVID because I needed a distraction. Yeah. But there were days when I only got a paragraph written, literally. But at least I could close my eyes at night and say I wrote something. But that's generally the power of doing something consistently every single day. Right. Period. And that's what I want so many people to take away from this is you don't have to sit down and pen this. You don't have to take a three-month sabbatical to write a book. You need to just dedicate a little bit of time every single day. And maybe it's a chapter. Maybe it's a sentence. Or maybe it's an entire you know novel. Who knows? But just commit to the process of doing so. And now, fast forward a handful of months, you've got your second book published on every single platform out there. I'm so proud of you, dude. Dude, I, and I appreciate that. That means a lot. It, it, um, you know, one thing I want to say about it that I told my youngest son is, some days you don't feel like writing, yep. and you're not sure exactly what to say next. Just write. Put something down. Just, just put something down. And there are times. There was one chapter in the book, um, seven or eight. Where I literally, I'm like, you know what? I can't, I can't think. I sat there for like 20 minutes, right? And I couldn't think of anything. I thought, I'm just going to start talking about it. And I did. And, and I wrote the whole chapter. And then I went back and looked at the chapter. And I changed the first two and a half pages. But I wouldn't have been able to do that had I not got the had first. Had you not had to start with. <laughs> right. And that's just it. It's like, just get started. You know, one of the biggest hacks I have found, and again, to quote Darren Hardy here, but the hardest part of any project is what? 
getting started, right. right, is just simply getting started. One of the things that I have employed since I read this from Darren Hardy was start with the first sentence the night before. So that way, the next morning when you get started, your brain's fresh. The hardest part's already done. You already have the first sentence it. already written. Yep. And then you can move on to everything else at that point. And that applies to everything you're doing in life. The hardest part of every project is just simply getting started. So do that when you don't want to do it. And then the next morning when your mind's fresh, Rock and roll with that thing because you already got the hardest part of it done. You got the first sentence written or maybe the first paragraph, the first chapter, who knows, or anything in life. For me, you know, in real estate, it's a home search or it's ordering materials for a roof. But do the hardest part the night before so that way your brain's fresh and ready to rock and roll the next day. And it it really does apply to everything. And and I'll give you a great example. I'm building a new kitchen table for the wife, a dining room table for the wife. Um, I've had the lumber for a while. I ordered a new tool I needed to, to plane the edges. It doesn't matter. It's set in a box in the garage for three weeks. I just didn't want to get it out and do all the calibrating and blah, blah, blah. So finally one night I went, you know what? Just go out there and get that part done. Yeah. Well, what I did, and I had it clamped down to the table and tested it and whatever, the next day, you know what happened? Guess what shit happened, right? I walked out <laughs> and I went, hey, I can play in these boards now. That's it. That's and then it. I got my biscuit joint. And, and so every day I work on this. T- today I worked on the table for 20 minutes. And with what's going on tonight with when we get out of the studio, I won't work on it anymore tonight. But that's okay because you made progress every day. And that's what I so want people to realize. It's so easy to like beat yourself up that, oh, I didn't get everything done today. You don't have to because guess what? There's always tomorrow. At least we all pray there's always tomorrow. And as long as that happens, all you have to do is just make progress every day. Take a couple steps forward every single day. To, to take it to a little bit more ethereal level, um, William Paul Young, one of my favorite authors, says, we need to learn to live inside the grace of just one day. Truly. And and, and and to me, I extrapolate that out to everything. What can I do today? What can I get done today? That's genuinely like literally what the Bible talks about. It's like focus on what's ahead of you right now today because guess what? Tomorrow's going to have its own set of challenges right. that you need to overcome. So focus on today, and that's all, all that you need to worry about. And if you do that the very best that you can, it's going to be an exceptional day. So, And that really kind of stems – or not stems, but like kind of segues into like what we're going to talk about this week on the show. And that's you know the foundational elements of building a house. Nice. Right? Wait a – nice, dude. Right. That's what I do. That's did you what see I what do. he did, Jason? So, so when we're talking beautiful. about the foundation foundations of a house you know we've spent the last i don't know how many weeks talking about you know the different trades industries something you and i are just uber uber passionate about and i can spend weeks talking about this with anybody because i genuinely am passionate about this because once you learn a trade it is a skill that is never going to be taken from you it is a skill that will always apply because guess what things like roofs always need to happen things like foundations always need to be poured things like framing up a house always need to happen and, and with, there's always somebody that's going to need to be able to do that. And with roofs, you really got to stay on top of it. Um, Literally. Nobody? I thought the mics went out. Hello? There wasn't the, anyway. uh, the, the uh, like, uh, the, like uh, uh, what, what's that called? The, uh, the rim studio shot. audience? Yeah. Yeah, Jason's <laughs> going to – thank you. Jason's going to get a rim shot. But, but you're right. And, and so and talking about the trades and all this kind of stuff, what you and I kind of decided a couple weeks ago was since right now myself – uh, military grade homes, Adam, who who we'll see in a minute, um, and then our our investment partners, Forecourt yeah. Capital, Perry and Paul. We're we're starting to build affordable homes in Indy, and we're starting right now. Um, and what we talked about, you and I talked about, was what if we followed the trades through the building process of a house, literally from start to finish, yeah. like from like hey, we found a lot. 
and we're going to string this thing out and figure out where do we start with this lot. That's what I really want to dive into today is, you know, where do we start with this? Like, where's the beginning phase of a house? Now, we're, we're not going to bore people with the process of, like, filing permits. That's not what we're about right now. But what we want to, you know, start with today are the foundational elements and then really kind of explore what opportunities exist in the, in the world of foundations of a home because they're huge. Every single structure that gets built has a foundation. All of them, period. I see what you did there, foundational elements. That was good. Right, yeah. I'm, so I'm creative. Today... <laughs> Adam and I were out at two different sites um, staking out the lot. Now, what does that mean? Well, when you have to, and Jason, when you get a second, you can pop that first picture if you want. When you stake a lot, you have to set the lines for the perimeter of the house yeah. foundation. Um, you can, it, it did, I, I did this with my iPhone, I apologize. But you can see the corner here, right? All right. So, and what Greg's talking about, for those that are listening on iTunes or Stitcher or anything like that, hop over to YouTube whenever you get a minute or on Facebook and check this video out because we've actually got some really cool photos here that show exactly what Greg's talking about. So this first picture, Adam and I are done with this lot. This is down south of Fountain Square in a neighborhood that's got a lot going on. Anyway, you can see the yellow line. So you, you set those lines for the perimeter of the house. You make sure they're square. You make sure they're off each property line like they should be. It took us about an hour mm -hmm. per lot. Um, but that's the very beginning. You have to have that right. Because when the guy comes in Monday with his excavator in the bucket and starts digging out for the footers, if our lines aren't right... You got a problem. Right. Then you his trench isn't right. And then the foundation's not right. So that's the beginning step. And I wanted to show that. I had a video, but... I couldn't get it to upload. Then, of course, I get to the studio, and Jason's like, dude, just da 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 <laughs> Well, Thanks, we're still Jason. working on a technical you know, uh, side of everything here. But at the end of the day, you know, that's where this starts, is you actually have to drive the stakes in the ground, which you know, involves a survey sometimes, et cetera. But ultimately, you know, now this is the foundation. Where do we go from here, though? So you just bought a lot. Yep. Okay, you want to build a house. You've got it staked out. You understand where, you know, where the house is going to sit. What happens next? Now we got to get the hole in the ground. Right. Um, Jason will hit that next picture. And that's that's what it looks like. Now, this is obviously for a basement. If that guy's 5'10 or 6' tall, obviously that same process. This down here, we're digging down for the footers. Now, the frost line is what we're trying to get below. That's the lowest point the ground freezes in, in, in the winter. So does that vary from region to region? I'm sure it does. What's that look like? Because I've heard of that term frost line, but what's that mean to somebody listening right now? So in Indiana, that's three feet. Okay. So if you're below three feet with your footer, the, the very bottom of the concrete that the house is going to sit on, you're good. You're going to be in good shape. If not, let's say we did it at 18 inches. When that ground freezes and thaws, it'll heave the concrete and your house will get lifted. It'll start twisted. moving around on you. Right. In Minnesota, for example, where Adam's from, it's 48 inches. Got it. Because so, he grew up in the tundra. That is a tundra in Minnesota. <laughs> I have no interest in ever moving there. <laughs> Not for me. I'm sure, no. the, I'm sure the land of 10,000 lakes or whatever it's called in Minnesota is uh, exceptionally beautiful in July. I just have no interest in going there in December. <laughs> But, but nevertheless, you know, so you're digging the footers, you're digging the foundation. It could be a basement. It could just be simply digging footers if you're going to, you know, be pouring a slab or a crawl space, et cetera. Yep. But, but that's simply where you start. You've got to get an excavator out there, somebody knows how to use it, obviously, and get that dug out. And, and that guy, 
on the bob or on the bobcat on the backhoe, he is highly qualified, oh highly gosh. trained, and highly skilled. Absolutely. So I want to pick your brain on that real quick, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this from you know a foundations expert you know standpoint, from a compensation standpoint. But what's somebody that drives a bobcat or drives an excavator and does that at a very high level? What's somebody like that make a year? I bet that guy makes forty or fifty bucks an hour. Yeah, easily. So easily. He's close to uh, close, if not in six figures. Yeah. And I've seen guys on those things be able to take the forks on the end of that bucket and flip somebody's hat off. I've literally seen the same thing. Like somebody that is good using an excavator is it's really, really fun to watch because what they can accomplish in a very short period of time. I watched they they actually tore the um um you know, again I'm gonna digress here just a touch, but I watched a, a dude with an excavator tear down a building in Speedway, Indiana the other day. The old Bell Racing Helmets building. Yep. This dude had this building gone and dist- like it, there was a building at nine AM and by noon it was all Gone, like the tr- like he tore it down, picked it up, dumped it in a truck, and it was gone within three hours. This entire building yep. that had been there for a hundred years was gone and removed from the entire job site, so they could start digging the foundation for what they're going to do next. Now, this next picture. Speaking of foundations, here we go. We're we're going to get started with it. So then, this is what you do next. These little wooden boxes, if you're watching on Facebook right now or YouTube later, these little wooden boxes are the forms where the footers go. So that's what the concrete actually gets poured into in order to pour the footers, correct? So it's what keeps it in place, et cetera, for people that aren't familiar with forms. Because there has to be a certain density of concrete, right? It has to be a certain width, a certain depth, um, a certain pour, which we'll get into the Mm -hmm. maybe some other time. But... So all that has to be factored in for the engineering to work out where it will actually hold the weight of the house. Right. right. So so they set these forms. Now, these guys are called form carpenters. Mm-hmm. It, it You have to know what the hell you're doing because they have to be level. They have to be square. You have to put on these spots here. Whoa. Um, and the one the guy's standing in, those are for piers, which are going to hold up the wood framing the of the house. Yeah. So you got to know what the hell you're doing. Otherwise, your house is going to fall in, literally. That's bad. People would frown upon that, I feel. And, <laughs> yeah, they might not be too happy. Um, so that's the next step. You, you get the whole dug, and then you got to frame up for your footers. Now so the, we've so, and I'm going to pause right there real quick because now we've literally just talked about two highly skilled areas of of specialization, just with getting the foundation for a home yep. in place, right? So we've got you know the frame or the uh, the uh, form carpenters. We've got the excavator right now. So we've got two highly skilled positions that are highly paid positions at that already, and we've not even poured any concrete yet. Right. And a lot of times, these guys setting the forms are going to pour the concrete. Sometimes they're the masons that do the foundation mm-hmm. block. Um, sometimes they do the, the concrete walls, which we'll see what that looks like in a minute. So these guys have to know what they're doing, and, and, and many of them do. And the ones that are busy really do. So let's talk about that real quick. I want to digress. I know we we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but I want to just dive into it right now because, you know, this is not something that they talk about in high school, right? They don't tell you about, hey, you could go do this in high school. This right. is something that people kind of stumble into. They learn about, you know, maybe they have a parent or a relative that does this kind of work. But let's kind of dive into that real quick. Like, how do you get qualified to be highly skilled to maybe run an excavator or do this type of work? What's that involved, Greg? Well, let's talk about the excavating because I have some experience in that. Mm -hmm. I went to work for an excavator in the summer of 1989. I was was not 
old enough to drive an excavator <laughs> at that age. Apparently, neither was I. So, the uh, I was a grunt, right? And, and with that particular company, we were laying water lines the summer I worked for them. Um, water, 12-inch water mains. And yeah. So, I was the guy down in the pit. And I kept trying to let him to get him to let me get on the bob or backhoe. And, and every time, the guy was like, no. But he explained to me, look, after a while... You know, when we have time, we'll give you some practice on a bobcat, and then we'll work you up to this, and we'll work you up to that. So with that company, with Harold was his name, it was all on-the-job training. Yeah. The guy on the bobcat or on the backhoe, God, I don't keep saying bobcat, that could flip somebody's hat off, literally. That guy had worked for that company for 18 years at that point. Yeah. Um, now, you can take classes, right? There are trade schools available for this. For excavating. But it's also not necessary, though. Like, no. it's an option that exists, but overwhelmingly, and that's kind of why I asked the story, a little bit rhetorical, but it's also that that's how this works. Yeah. Like, you learn by doing in roles like this. Yes, you can read a book. You can read the owner's manual for that bobcat or the excavator or whatever, you know, heavy equipment tool you have. Or, hell, read the instructions for how to frame this up, and good luck. Right. Right. You got to go do stuff like this. That's how you learn. And yeah, you're going to make mistakes, but ultimately you're going to learn. That's why you go work with a master carpenter. That's why you go work with a master plumber or a master, you know, guy that's done this for 20 years that knows what the heck's going on. Because then all of a sudden you immediately just through osmosis pick up all of that information that they've learned the hard way over a period of time. Now let's back up to concrete. Or let's move forward to concrete or yeah. whatever. I worked for a concrete company the summer of 87. I, I was definitely not old at all at that point in time. Every summer I got put to a different <laughs> tradesperson. It was cool. No, and you were not. Um, you were still eating paste at that time I was, in 87. I actually probably was. So. <laughs> That's all right. I had friends that were, too, at that age. But anyway, so they that guy... That company, Butch was his name, that ran the concrete company, and we would do footers sometimes. Mm -hmm. The guy, and I can't remember his name, little wiry guy, but the guy slept in his truck half the time. He would show up to the job site, having left the bar at 3 a.m., sleep in his truck. also a story for another time. (laughs) But, no, but here's the thing about this cat. He would start laying out these forms, and I would help him, but I was a helper. I, I wasn't, like, helping, helping, right? This guy would lay out these forms, and I swear to God, you could stick a square into any inside corner, and they were perfect. Spot on. Yeah. Perfect. You want a half inch and a foot run of pitch? He's got you. By eyeball, the guy was amazing. What's the Crown Royal talking right there, I'm sure. Right? <laughs> but but same with that trade, right? You learn by doing. Yeah. You show up. It, let's say you're interested in being a form contractor. Go find a company that doesn't and say, I want to learn what you do. And they will immediately not let you leave because they can't find anybody else that's ever said that to them. And then immediately you've got a job. And if you show up on time, do what you say you're going to do. Congratulations. In about two years, you're going to be really, really well paid. Yep. Yep. And I'll I'll tell you uh, in that vein, right? I'm 50 years old. Mm -hmm. If you watch a podcast long enough, you're already aware of that. But I know a guy that owns an electric company. He got a big apartment job, new build. Mm Mm-hmm. He offered to pay me. I'm not an electrician. He knows that. He knows I'm a carpenter, or I was. He offered to pay me 20 bucks an hour to come and pull wire. And I'm 50 years old. You know why? Because he can't find anybody else. He can't find anybody to pull freaking wire. Are you kidding me right now? Anyway, I digress. So, (laughs) 
Let's so, move on to the next picture. So yeah, we've talked about the form. So now we've got a picture on the screen right now. So this is like a dugout foundation. It, it's really kind of a, you know, a exposure of what's going on with a basement. So tell us about this. So the 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 reason I picked this picture is because it shows a lot of different things that I want to talk about. Number one, we got our footers that we just saw formed up in the last picture, right? Yep. That's us here. That's what's dug down. These walls are concrete, and they're forms just like we saw in the last picture, just obviously taller, yep. right? And a form carpenter built those so that they pour right. This is called the flat work, the slab in the basement. And that's the very bottom floor, you know, the floor of the basement for people not watching right now. Right. Yep. And then over here, we've got it's your drainage tile. The perimeter, right, the drainage tile for around the perimeter of the house to keep water from getting in the basement. Yep. All of this right here is very, very technical and specialized. Yep. It, you can't just wake up tomorrow and go, you know what I think I'm going to do? You have to learn how to do that. Well, and that's it. This is this is the reason why, and, and again, I'm going to make a very general statement here, but overwhelming, and correct me if I'm wrong, but homes that are built in the last 10 years, you generally don't see problems with water getting into basements. Whereas right. if you have a house that was built, I don't know, 40 years ago with cinder block walls, it's hard to keep the water out of that house period regardless of whatever you do with drainage tiles around the house and you know getting the water away etc it's still a very different process but technology has evolved so much now that when people talk about finishing their basement i have no qualms about telling telling them yeah go ahead and finish that out because it was probably built right the first time with all the new technology right moving forward you know from about 10 years ago well and keep in mind like with older houses like really older houses houses built in the 20s 30s 40s 50s the basements weren't designed to be living space not at all not you at know. all. I mean, it's seven foot tall down there right. with that. And, <clears throat> yeah, you're ducking spider webs and everything else. I just noticed something about this picture. Did you notice? Is that the sill plate? plate is not treated. It is not treated, but it's just a rendering, I feel. Yeah, but I feel like that should be accurate. They could uh, put a little green dye in that, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so the next picture... Uh-oh, Jason's got the camera on me. I'm there we go. There we go. So... So this next picture here, this is now a a concrete block foundation. Tell us about this. So you just mentioned cinder block. Yep. Um, which is, they used to be. Yep. Literally made from cinders, and we'll get into that some other time. But this is a crawl space. Now, these guys are masons. Not Freemasons like me. They're actual masons because um, I can't do this. <laughs> but one trade I never worked in. But... So they took the footers, right? We had the dig out. We had the footers poured. These guys come in and they lay the block to the exact specs on the plan, like within a quarter of an inch mm -hmm. of what the house is going to be. They have to set these these little rebar yep. things. Actually, they're threaded. But that sill plate we talked about, that goes on top of them. And, and so those have to be in the right place. The wall has to be square. It has to be level. It has to be the right distance from wall to wall. Any of that that's wrong, you got a major problem. Now your framer's screwed. Yeah. And then if he doesn't fix it, your trim guy's screwed. If he doesn't fix it, the drum. Yeah, it's it's a massive challenge. So let me ask you this because I don't know, but what? Why would somebody can you know still today build a house that is like this versus a poured concrete wall? What would be the advantage of you know a a block wall that a mason puts together versus doing a poured concrete wall? So, great question. One of the big things is most companies that pour concrete foundation walls, the the, the mm -hmm. form carpenters we talked about, they're pouring basements. 
Mm-hmm. So they've got eight and nine foot panels for eight and nine foot tall basement walls. They don't have the panels and the rigging and the setup for. So uh, if you want to do a crawl space as an example, so if you want to do a four foot tall crawl space, they don't have the forms to do that. Right. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Right. Got it. And and so it it becomes cheaper and easier just to have a block mason come out and, and lay it out. And this is stable. Don't mm-hmm. don't don't misunderstand. This is a stable foundation right here. My house was built in 1978. It's got this foundation. Yeah. And it's fine. As far as I know, it was when I left the house this morning. <laughs> but so these guys are going to build this. Um, they've got all the places for the, the framing to tie into it. And i got to tell you a real quick little anecdote. When me and a buddy of mine, Mead, built a, a garage in Lockerbie, the guy that did the foundation work did bad. He That's did bad. Not awesome. It was not square, and it was at a level at one point. <clears throat> Mead and I did the framing and the siding and the trusses and everything else. We had to spend an extra almost full day during the framing process to get everything back squared and shored back up. Yeah. He cost us a crap ton of money. Yeah. Um, so did the people that stole the plywood, but that's another story. <laughs> anyway, so then the next one. Oh, and by the way, I uh, see what I did. All right, so that is what's called a monolithic pour. All right, so let's like explain to our listeners right now exactly what that means because like I don't know what I'm looking at right now. So I want you to tell me exactly what I am looking at on the screen and again, hop over to YouTube because this is a monolithic pour. You know what I'm going to get? I'm going to get one of those little antenna like pointers. You should get one of those pointers. That'd That's be so awesome. Fun. One of those laser like laser pointer things. Right. That'd be awesome. So they ex- excavate, say that five times fast, down to the footer level, yep. right? And they got crushed rock down there. You can see it's cut back at an angle this way, going to the inside of the slab. Yep. That's for stability and strength, right? And then they put crushed gravel here. Now, what they do in these anchor bolts are just like we saw on the block foundation. There, so the sill plate for the framing can mm-hmm. be bolted down to it. Now, they dig this out, and one of the benefits of this is it's faster. You know, with these new homes, um, with these production builders, they either do slab or they do a basement. Yep. This is so much faster than a crawl space, and I don't like crawl spaces. But um, so they get all this done, and then they pour one time. It's called a monolithic pour. Got it. They pour it all at once. So when they're done and that cures, now they can start framing. It takes out a step, and it takes out about three days of production time. Got it. Got it. This is actually the kind of pour we're doing on the house we're building. Now, are there any disadvantages to doing a pour like this? No. Nice. Honestly, I mean. I mean, with anything, there's... But a lot of people in, in the Midwest don't like slabs. Be- now, but I feel that is biased based, based on old technology. And, exactly. And here's what I mean by that, is because I have been selling brand new homes since 1999. And I've probably sold well over 500 of them, like brand new homes. And in that period of time, I can't think of one person that's ever called me and said, I have a found, like, I have a problem with my slab. They had to jackhammer my slab. Now, I know that's happened. I know people have had to do that. But it's super uncommon that you have to do that because of technology today, right, right. or wrong. Right. Exactly. And, and, and people that are against it are usually old school. Yeah. They're usually people that um, had a bad experience with a national home in the 60s or a U.S. steel home in the 60s and 70s, right? And they think that's what slab on grade means in the Midwest. Correct. Fifty years ago, it was a really, really bad idea to put stucco on the outside of a house in the Midwest. It's not now. Yeah. 
technology changes, we should too. Um, <laughs> I saw the red light come on, like, mm. but so this is perfectly fine, and it'll save you money, it'll yeah. save you time, and it'll save you. Um, I, honestly, it saves headache. It really does because you know, again, at the end of the day, if you don't specifically need a basement, why not just do this? Right. Period. It, when I was a, a home inspector. I hated crawl spaces. Who wouldn't? And I I'm getting crawl spaces. I get on roofs. I'm not getting in a crawl space. No. And I'd rather like be in a roof with you. There. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to be in a crawl space. I went into one and and there was a raccoon and and it was alive, which was not okay. <laughs> but I, there's no there's no true benefit to a crawl space. You, I, I used to tell my clients get down there twice a year. You have, you to. have to go look twice a year because if you don't, I, I've I've got a house right now. I'm selling. Okay, and the crawl space guy from AccuLevel is literally out there. He, he was out there at 430 today. I unfortunately couldn't make it there. But that's just it. If you don't get down there every year, here's what always happens when you sell a house. I'm going to look at the camera right now, is you will have issues. Because if you don't get down there and investigate what's going on and pay attention to what's going on, you're 100% going to have an issue within two or three years easily. And this gentleman right now has a home in Southport just right down the road from here. Hadn't been down there in about five years. Did all this work on his home for almost 40 years with a crawl space, right? Within three years, guess what? A little water from a downspout that didn't like get away from mm -hmm. the house has created a massive amount of issues. Like a downspout not getting water away has created a massive amount of issues in its crawl space to the tune of maybe $5,000. I'm literally waiting on that bid to come back, but I've dealt wow. with mold and mold's bad in crawl spaces. Right. It's not easy to treat. I know what those numbers look like. It's not fun. So no. I'm with you. I'm not a big fan of crawl spaces. I certainly understand the intent. It makes it way easier to, you know, hey, if I want to move a, a gas line from here to here, if I'm remodeling a kitchen, it makes that infinitely easier than on a slab, right? But at the end of the day, man, I'm looking for benefits because all I see is people spending $20,000 on crawl spaces to fix them because they aren't maintained properly. Right. And most people aren't going to. Right. They're just not. Who's getting in their crawl space? Literally. So you go basement or you go slab on grade. Amen. And it's just easy money. And one thing cool about this kind of system, which we're not doing on the houses we're building right now, but you can put radiant floor heat in there. Heck yeah. That's awesome. Which is super boss, but we'll get into that some other time. So let's think about this for a minute. Um, we've talked about excavating, forum carpenters. We've talked about um, block masons. Yep. We've talked about concrete finishers. So we're already at four major trades right now that you know exist within one industry right now. Yeah. Right? Okay. So let's move on. And, and we haven't built squat yet. We haven't even started. Yeah. That's um, what's fun about this because there's so many people involved. There's so much opportunity that exists. And again, if you're in Indianapolis right now or you're in any part of the country, and again, we're at the end of 2020 right now and building new homes right now is at an all-time higher. Yep. Like you, if you want to build a new home in Indianapolis right now, it's going to take you nine months to get it built because everybody's that backed up. There's no lots available because the market is that hot. So building new homes is huge right now. So let's continue. And by the way, just let me add on to that. These one-off lots we're building on, we get the lots pretty quick, but what we're finding out is that the permitting process oh, yeah. is now being drawn out. Yep. So they said when they went to all online, it'd be faster. They were wrong. They did <laughs> not. I, I, I feel that didn't go well. Yeah. I feel like Taylor Hicks. Like, woo! Um, my wife hates that guy. <laughs> but anyway, do, do we have another picture, Jason? 
Yeah, there it is. Here's your favorite. Here's your favorite. So we talked about this at the home show last year. Yep. If you were watching back last January or so, we were talking about ICF. So tell tell us about this because this is a really cool picture about a house that you guys just did. And walk us through this because this is different technology. Yeah, absolutely. And we just got rid of 12th Street. Um, 918 St. Pete is still available (laughs) in Fountain Square. Call me if you're interested. So ICF, Insulated Concrete Forms. Um, Donnie, Zach, if you guys are watching, you'll love this because they both work for the company. But it it looks like a concrete block, right? But it's like building Legos. That's what I love about this. Yeah. Like literally they fit together. And you can see the little ridges. They they snap together. These troughs here are for rebar, for metal rod. Um, And then you fill that form with concrete and the form stays. Yeah. So... If you're using this in a wall, and we've talked about this before, you're going to get an R value of 50, and it'll stop a 50 caliber round um, at least. But what I wanted to show it here is because it's becoming a growing thing with foundations, yep. especially in crawl spaces and, and to a greater or lesser extent in basements. Now, why is that? Well, when you build a crawl space or a basement now, you have to insulate the inside of the wall. Yeah. So to, to th- three feet down, right? We talked about the frost line a little bit ago. With this, you already got the insulation built in. It's already part of the product. And and you seal it on the outside just like you would any kind of foundation before you backfill the dirt. Um, You can see the gravel here for drainage. But it's a great solution even if you're doing a crawl space because now that insulation is taken care of. And if your crawl space is more insulated, that means your floors are going to feel nicer when you're walking around on them barefoot in the winter. Right? So what's something like this cost? Because this is obviously elevated technology over what we've already looked at. I mean, this is like what is going on today. What's something like this cost if you wanted to pour pour a foundation or a basement or, you know, a crawl space or something like that in this? What's the difference? Here's the thing. With this, you're only looking just for the foundation. Now, we're not talking Mm -hmm. about the whole house. But the foundation, we're only looking at about a 10 or 12% uptick in cost. Got it. And a lot of that's just because, especially in this area, People are just not familiar with the technology yet, how to do it, you know, whatever. The company that Zach and Donnie both work for, they will come out, send one of their guys out, and help you build do this it. yourself. That's cool. They'll train you how to do it. You know, you can do your own home. You hire a company, you know, they'll come out and whatever. But but to me, even if you're doing a crawl space or a basement, this is the way to go. Cool. Now, I was super impressed with this when we saw it about a year ago right now. Obviously, you've built a couple of homes with this technology right now. It's uh, it's really, really cool. I, I mean, it's 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 next level. It really is. And I just got to say, and and because people still don't get this technology, right? I got to say that house we just sold on 12th Street, it was 4,300 square foot, right? Two-story house. Our cooling bill during the summer Average under fifty bucks a month. That's awesome. That's how badass That's that product so awesome. is. That's so awesome. But again, you think about that though. You just mentioned that this has an R value of fifty plus. Yeah. Whereas the average wall, and I want people to think about this real quick. So if you're building a normal house, you know, and again, I'm going to use a name like a Pulte or Lennar, you know, somebody builds a nice quality home, right? That home's being built with two by fours. It's got foam on the outside that's maybe three eighths of an inch thick. And you got some drywall on the inside, and you've got some R13 insulation. So the total R value that you're looking at there is maybe 15, maybe, right? Yeah. And now you've just literally quadrupled that. You've got got four times the R value in your walls. So yeah, your energy bill is 100% going to be substantially less. And forever. But, and, and again, even for a foundation, 
Yep. This to me is the way to go. So, so those are the basic types. Um, when you start off, if you're going to be a form framer, if you're going to be a concrete guy, um, a block mason, all of those options, an excavator, they all have on-the-job training options. Yep. We know guys that are hungry to hire you if you want to come and work. Literally right now. I mean, I can literally set up interviews for people right now if there was somebody that wanted to do a job like this and just like, hey, you know, I'm, I, I want to learn. I want to learn something new. You could literally get hired tomorrow at a plethora of yep. different companies right now because there is so much need for people that want to learn how to do this. And as we've talked on the previous six episodes of this show, the opportunity for advancement is so rapid because guess what? Like the barrier to entry is low, which means there's a lot of people involved. However, your opportunity just to show up on time, do what you say you're going to do, you can grow so rapidly yep. within any of these companies because it's not hard to do. You just got to spend the time, educate yourself, learn the skill, and all of a sudden, fast forward two or three years, you can start your own company. You can go run this stuff and make it all happen yourself. And the thing about that, uh, one of my kid's friends was talking to me about a particular trade. Mm -hmm. And I told him, I'm like, you're going to start as a grunt. Yeah, That's how it works. However, if you show up, show up on time, do what you say you're going to do, and work hard and are eager to learn, it's not long, like you said, before you could own your own company. And he said, yeah, well, what's it start at? And I'm like, 15, 16 bucks an hour. If you've noticed and you've watched the last few trades episodes, you understand that's pretty much the norm right now. Like, that's a norm for most jobs, though, period. But you know what he said to me? Well, I can go work at Amazon for nineteen eighty an hour. And where are you going to get in three years by right. working there? And I told him, I'm like, dude, you're interchangeable. Yeah. And, and, and people that want to work there at Amazon or whatever warehouse, no, that's I, fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. But there's no... Where are you going with that? What, wait, yeah. What's next? Yep. Yep. And that's, that's what I want people to really appreciate is the fact that, you know, it's not all about the money today. It's what are you learning while you're doing this that's going to allow you opportunities in the future. And that's, I mean, truly, I started a roofing company earlier this year because I learned something 10 years ago. I learned a new skill. I learned a new trade. Mm -hmm. I learned something, and trust me, I'm still learning business lessons right now. Yet at the end of the day, yeah, I can make sure your house isn't going to leak 100%. I can figure out any leak on a house right now. It's not hard to do because I learned a skill set. And that's what I really want people to take away from all of these shows that we're doing right now is there is such an amazing opportunity. If you're willing to sacrifice a year or two of your life, which, by the way, most people go to college and sacrifice four years and pay somewhere around $100,000 to do that right. and then walk away with still the same guarantees, which is nothing. Whereas this, you get paid to learn. You get paid to go to college, and then after you're done going to college, guess what? You're immensely qualified after four years of doing this and getting paid to do it to go start your own business, go run your own company, or hell, just be super highly paid within a great company that's already doing it. And you've learned a skill that cannot be taken from you. Period. When the recession happened in, in 08, 09, um, and the lumber company went out of business that I worked for and, and mm -hmm. all that happened... I started remodeling houses. You know why? Because you knew, knew how. how. Yeah, period. <laughs> you knew how. The warehouses in Plainfield, where I live at the time, I think they were paying eight or nine bucks an hour. Why? Because there were thousands of people looking for jobs. I knew how to build a deck. I built decks. I knew how to, you know what I mean? That's it. it. it you yeah. learn that trade, and my dad always said this to me when I was a kid, you learn a skilled trade, and it can never be taken from you. Period. 
That's what I ever. love about this. That's why you and I are so passionate. That's why we spent so much time on the you know this last several weeks is because, yes, I don't care if you want to be a roofer, a plumber, a foundation guy, you name it, the opportunities are endless genuinely and if you just want to do the work your entire life cool there's so many amazing companies out there that you yep. can go to work for and if you have questions about that call me i'm happy to help make connections we have great connections within all of this around the indianapolis area but ultimately go talk to whoever's doing it best in your area go ask them some questions and go spend a year working for them and within a year if you show up on time do what you say you're going to do you're going to have an amazing amount of opportunity and i promise you the opportunity to earn six figures is very close yep very close and so to kind of wrap it up um that to this point is how we get out of the ground with the house now this time of the year it's it's kind of hard to predict the weather and what's going that's going to do to work and cruise and whatever what i wanted to ask you about that so i get that question a lot you know pouring foundations in the winter time you know when it's cold outside is that bad? Is it good? What's your two cents on that? Well, when they mix the concrete now, like we talked about technology yep. advancements, when they mix the concrete now, they put additives in it to allow them to pour in the winter. Mm-hmm. They pour roads, concrete roads in the winter in Alaska. Yeah. They figured it out, right? Um, so they just put additives in that help it cure and, and, and not freeze and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know all the chemical technology behind it but i, I definitely know that's don't either but exactly to your point i remember working for a new home builder this is right before i got into general real estate in 2003 i was working for a new home builder arbor homes actually at the time and i drove by this house yesterday actually but they built three model homes in january in 30 days those homes look awesome today because the technology exists right? right you can do this and this was a community i sold actually called the bristols back in 2003 four etc and these homes look awesome the community looks amazing you know today and but yeah those three model homes were built in 30 days in the dead of january and that's that's year round now right buildings year round now there are some weather situations that slow you down for a few days and my point is next week i hope to be talking about framing That'll be fun. But it depends on the weather, whether we're framing or not. <laughs> um, if not, we'll figure out what we're going to do. But at the ultimate, at the end of the day, you know, we'll go through framing. We'll get the house shelled in. Um, we'll talk about how Ryan got into roofing because he really wanted to get on top of the housing market. <laughs> oh, yeah. There Come you on. go. There you go. How you doing? But for now, we should wrap up, right? I'd say so. So that's it for this week's episode. We just wanted to share some additional information about what's going on with the entire trades industry, shed some light on what opportunities exist out there. And if, as always, if there's anything that Greg or I can do for you, we are here to help in every single way possible. And be sure to smash that subscribe button. Like, ah, like this. I always forget that. Leave a comment. We are here to help any way we possibly can. That's why we do the show. So, Greg, for another episode of Blue Collar Real Estate, you're up. <laughs> Have a good weekend, y'all. Appreciate y'all. Thank you. <laughs>